When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to Sentimental Garbage, the podcast where we talk about the chiclet that made us who we are. My name is Karen Dunhue and I'm a writer. I don't know her. Joining me is author and elusive chanteuse, O'Kanan Dela. <laughs> Today we're talking about The Meaning of Mariah Carey by Mariah Carey and Michaela Angela Davis. Hello, okay. Hello, thank you so much for having me. It's so nice to be I'm here. I'm so glad that we um, arrived on this book because um, you, you and I met at what I am currently describing as the only interesting thing that happened to me in 2020. So thank you for being a part of mm-hmm. that, which was going to the Cheltenham <laughs> Literary Festival. And uh, we had a, a really good time talking about books and drag race. And, um, and then, as I often do when I meet other writers, asked you to be on this. And every single book you suggested we had done already. And which is a lovely, <laughs> lovely thing. Obviously, it's annoying when that happens because you want to talk about a book you both love. But the fact that we both love the same genre of trash was very warming to me. <laughs> yeah. I was like, crazy rich Asians. Yes. No. <laughs> Philip and Gregory. Yes. Oh, they're Berlin no. girls. Yes. No. No. Um, and then you suggested, and it was a genius suggestion, um, The Meaning of Mariah Carey by Mariah Carey. And I want to know what made you suggest that. Um, I think I've always kind of dimly been aware of Mariah Carey's like personal mm-hmm. life, like and I, and like, gay Twitter was like on fire with this book as soon mm-hmm. as it came out. So I was aware that it was released, and then I guess I kind of just put two and two together and thought this would be like a nice fit in terms of like, I mean, I didn't know what the pl- content was going to be, I didn't know which areas of her life she was going to cover, but I thought I feel like this is going to be quite a nice fit. For, yeah. Like, we oh, have a lot of stuff to say about it's this perfect book. it's so lovely when somebody just understands the tone of this podcast immediately without hearing an episode <laughs> and you just nailed it i was like yes and i think what, what's also like um interesting about this book as well is that aside uh, over and above it being um mariah carey who's fascinating for many reasons um it's it was a real audiobook event like so mm-hmm. I, I think we, we both listened to this on audio and yeah. because Mariah knows her fans or her lambs, as we are now affectionately calling the lamely, as we're calling ourselves. Um, <laughs> it's very much an audiobook with a lot of singing in it. It's very much Mariah being like, well, why would I have an audio format and not sing? That was great. She added so much extra value. I was like, you suckers who read the book, you were fools. fools. Like, this book, this book needs to be listened to. It's- Right, it's so good. It's, how, yeah, so how how did that work for you? As in, like, w- w- the first couple of times, it's so jarring because she's just reading about like her her like relationship with her very violent brother, and then she'd be like, <laughs> <"Ah-ha."> <laughs> yes. it was a bit surreal. I was like, oh. And then I was thinking, like, how much time has she spent in the studio on top of, like, the normal reading time? And, you know, what is the situation in terms of, like, um, has she had to, like, secure, like, rights for audiobooks yeah. on top of that? I just kept thinking of the nitty gritty. But then I thought, 
you're right. Like after a while, it was like actually, I can see this is a really nice touch, and I feel like I mean, I said this to you when we were when I was listening to it, but it really made me feel like she was talking directly to me. Yes, <laughs> you know what I mean. Then she has the and she says in the book several times how she has this relationship with her fans that's really direct. And, yeah, you know, she posted she posted messages on her website before social media came along. But I, the whole singing thing really made me feel like I was getting like a private gig. Yes, in my yes, house, and I think because. You know? There's something about Mariah Carey's um, singing voice when she's not like fully like going for it, doing full ballad style or whatever. It's kind of whispery. Mm. It's like really powerful, but actually quite quiet in its own way. Yeah. Yeah. So it feels really like inside your ear, and it really because I I personally like I respect the value of divas and the pyramid of divas mm. more than anything else <laughs> more than religion mm-hmm. yes, of course. certainly more than horoscopes i just feel i i Correct. truly feel that that everybody is born with a diva under a diva star and it's sort of it's it's very much the wand chooses the wizard do you know what i mean it just is part of who you are for your whole life and i think with straight men it's football players it does the same thing it's like outsized yeah. characters who are phenomenally good at, at being themselves, but also their chosen craft. And they, for some reason, represent your soul, but also they represent yourself to the nth degree, like what you think you would be like if you were powerful and talented. Who is who yes. is your diva? Do you know, I think it is Mariah really? Carey, And I'm not sure that I realised it before I finished this audiobook. Like, I was like... So, I mean, I, I knew of her, obviously. She's like, who doesn't know mm. about how talented she is and like the, the highlights of her career and stuff. But there was the like, there were details about her life that I read in this book that sort of map onto mine in some like weird mm. ways. Obviously, first of all, the singing capability. <laughs> as, you are mutantly talented. <laughs> exactly. Like, I just, I don't want to make it awkward. Like, so I'm just going to say that straight <laughs> Um, but like areas of like my childhood that I don't want to go into in too much detail but like I, re- I related so much to the way that she grew up in terms of um, like her home life and how difficult that was and how she saw this career as like a way of escaping that and of and also of being herself and I just I just thought and then I thought you know thankfully I've never been in a relationship with anybody like Tommy mm. Mottola but you know those men are everywhere like those yeah. men really do exist and they don't always have that much power and money and influence but I've met men like that and I'm sure that most people have come across men like that in some capacity and I just thought so much of this book even if it wasn't stuff that I had experienced I thought I recognize that person or I recognize yeah. that situation yeah. or I know people who've been in that kind of relationship and I just thought she is me and I am her we are the wow. same you, know? you really are How in the lamely. I, <laughs> I am, and I didn't even know. So beautiful, it's like you're know. coming out all over again. <laughs> I know. I need to go out and beat up a Whitney Houston fan or yeah. something to like complete the initiation. But I'm well on the yeah. way. Yeah. So, so for me, yeah. my diva has always been Cher. Um, Interesting. I think there's something Why? I don't know. Just ever since I was really, really young, I saw her in Mermaids. And then I, when yes. I, I think when I was kind of coming of age as well, she was doing the whole believe thing. And that was just really powerful and really everywhere. And because she's so strange looking, she, there's just something about her face that just, just like stapled yes. onto my brain. And then one of the first sort of books that I 
really soapy books that I got into as a young person was her autobiography. And just ever, and it's so funny because now Mariah, you've read Mariah's memoir, and now you're you you belong to Mariah, and I belong to Cher because I happened to read her memoir really early, and now I just see Cher as being part of who I am. That's so interesting, and I love that you love mermaids as well. That was like one of my favorite films growing up. I just loved it, even though I was probably too young to watch it when I first did. It's weird. I didn't understand what was going on. Yeah, mermaids has one of those. It's a very nineties visual palette where it's almost like a John Waters movie or something. Where or like um, Matilda. We talked. I remember we talked about Matilda before (laughs) when um, at Cheltenham, where it's like that sort of fluorescent suburban thing where it the the colors are very candy ish. And it feels like a children's film, but actually it's about like teen pregnancy and God and mothering. And it's just a lot, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I think that's probably why it felt safe to watch as a child in the, like, you know, kids tend to switch off if they think something is like too grown up for them in a boring way. Um, And there was lots of stuff in there that I just couldn't access as a child. Like I do not, I do not know what it's like to be a single mum and like having to constantly move around America. But like, the, there's, there's, you're right like the aesthetics of it sort of are quite well yeah yeah even if you don't know even what's though it's going like on even like Winona Ryder like going to a gynecologist to see if she has had sex yet and he's like nope <laughs> <laughs> I swear I did not understand that until like the no exactly exactly that but that's the that's the power of the diva she is the anchor with which all complicated themes are rooted in you know um, so <laughs> yeah. let's I mean Cher will be for maybe maybe next time I could make you read Cher's memoir and we could talk about that you could we could try. try if this you goes well Team Mariah forever <laughs> till I die Cher who? Cher well indeed like what is Cher's last name no one's allowed no <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so I think like you know usually I would do a plot summary but because this is Mariah's life and people are aware of it, I think we should just work through her childhood chronologically and ju- her life chronologically and just um, and, and go through it, really. So we begin with Mariah in this very specific way of growing up that I think a lot of fan- not not fans, but people who are not that aware of her aren't as aware that she is from a mixed race family. Her father is black Venezuelan and her mother is Irish American. And this is really the first impression that we get of Mariah's early life. And I think the conception of Mariah is very much, we're dimly aware that she's mixed race, but we don't know how much of a baggage it's been for her. Yeah. And I found that like really, really affecting. What in those early chapters stood out to you the most? So there was that, definitely, because I was in that, exactly in that position. Like I knew of Mariah's... I knew very, very vaguely that Mariah was not, like, white. Mm -hmm. Um, And that, you know, people make jokes about it. Like, I saw the film um, Precious, which she refers to, where there's that joke they make at her appearance, like, what, are you black? Are you white? Are you Puerto Rican? Um, So I was aware of it from that. But I think the thing in the early chapters that most stood out for me was, like, just how chaotic her home life Mm -hmm. was. Like, I just couldn't... It was so... There was so much in it that was shocking in like you know what her parents um had been through what she herself had been through what her siblings put her through even before she got famous and like they were taking advantage of her and stuff it was like my god like to grow up in that incredibly confusing violent it's it's even confusing as like a reader because it's so 
there's so many changes of like location and sort of um combinations of people who are living with her. So the thing, so she's the youngest of these three kids that her mother has had with her father, and um, her oldest brother Morgan is like they see that feels like quite an age difference. Um, um, yeah. so he he's like a teenager when she's quite small and he's already like really like violent and angry and acting out and. Um, you know, the, the 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 cops are called to the house quite a lot, which is a very interesting bookend to the book, which I, I think we should get to when we get to mm. it. Um, and her sister is just sort of referred to as troubled throughout, and she yes. ends up having an extremely dark life of um, being married mm. very early off, married off very early, moving to the Philippines, coming back, and then um, sort of being a sex worker for a while, trying to get. I mean, it's 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 quite loosely referred to. But yeah, she tries to sort of pimp Mariah. It, it feels like a very young Mariah. But one of the very early bits, which kind of really broke my heart, was where Mariah says something like, you know, I've always really loved Christmas. And, you know, obviously that's what we associate. Mariah's kind of the queen of Christmas, right? If anybody is. Like, she is Mrs. Claus. Literally. Literally. Like, there's that video online. I've done so <laughs> There's that video online of <clears throat> when she's talking to her kids and um, her one of her kids says... Um, mommy, mommy, mommy! If you say like I can't remember if it's Amazon Echo, one of those things. It's just, if you say like into Amazon Echo, like play play the Queen of Christmas, Mariah Carey starts <gasps> oh. playing. Like this is her power and influence. She owns Christmas more than Christ. <laughs> she does. She does. It's the true. The true meaning of Christmas is Mariah Carey playing with snow, and <laughs> there's there's this bit. I'm being, yeah, I'm being fucking rich. <laughs> there's this bit where um. She talks about because her siblings, because they were troubled or whatever, were always living in some combination of being away with family, with her father. The parents split up when she was quite young. The only times that they would really be together as a family would be at Christmas. And because all of this resentment would be banked throughout the year, they would just it would just explode at Christmas. And, yeah. and they would sort of resent Mariah because she was the one who was consistently with their mother and then the sort of it would bleed into this fact that Mariah's also the the lightest skinned of all of them and that bleeding in, and her, the mother who is quite bohemian and has rejected her very racist upbringing in order to marry her father also has this sort of predilection with whiteness that's throughout the book it's so complicated and so upsetting yeah I mean, my yeah, exactly. There was so much history that went into that, and I think I find that fascinating because I just think that is how families work like you you when you're little you might see your parents as like mum and dad and that's it and then the older you get the more you see you figure out that they've had their own childhoods and they've had you know their own sort of received wisdoms which may be right or wrong and all this stuff that pours into it and then you're right like when she talks about the pressure that is put on Christmas and how it was never what she was hoping it would be I think so many people can relate to that even if you have a really lovely relationship with your family and what you know even if you have nothing like the problems that she's had I think it's everybody puts a lot of pressure on Christmas and everybody wants it to be a certain thing and it doesn't always live up to that because it can't always live up to that you know things go wrong and people get busy and you know things happen I just thought I just know, I just, I feel like that was just so powerfully rendered the way that she talked about how desperate she was to just have a normal, safe yeah. home life and she never got it. It was just, yeah. That's the thing about Christmas now and we're, we're kind of, we're like today is the 4th of November and we're kind of the in the run up to it and everyone is already like settled on the idea of a miserable Christmas and, mm-hmm. you know, there, there, there's always this sort of sense of, 
there is so much pressure on that day for it to perform. And it, it's so interesting because um, because Mariah now, it, because she is the queen of Christmas, her, and her, her music is the thing that blares when we're all last minute shopping on Christmas Eve because we want tomorrow to be perfect. Like, she, it's so funny because she's contributed to this sort of, like, commercial thing of, yeah. of Christmas has to be perfect. And her herself grew up in this, why isn't my Christmas ever nice? You know, it's yeah. so... Isn't that yeah. wild? And then, but then I think that also kind of makes sense, this idea that somebody, to have that powerful an imagination about something, about Christmas, and to have such an intense vision for it, I think it does entirely make sense that it com- that comes from experiences of deprivation yeah. and of chaos and separation, you know? I think maybe only somebody who has wanted that perfect Christmas so much and never had it can come up with such a pristine vision of it yeah. that most people just never achieve. Yeah, yeah, because mm. it's such a dream for her that it is sort of yeah. tinged with this otherworldliness. Um, the, the How do you feel in general? Because I feel like a bitch for saying this, but I don't read that many memoirs. I don't know about you, but I sort of hate reading about people's childhoods. <laughs> <laughs> I don't read that many memoirs either and I don't remember the last time I read a memoir that involved somebody's childhood actually um, yeah I think I've I've read like one or two others that I can think of off the top of my head but they were like Edmund White's um, City Boy mm-hmm. like where he talks about like when he was like a grown man in New York so that's a very very yeah. different type of thing um, yeah I can't think of a, of a memoir that I've read of someone's childhood off the top of my head Um and it wasn't, and it was, you know, it was difficult to read for me. I have to say, it was, well, to listen to in mm. some ways. I think partly because I'm a teacher and like, oh, to, of course, you know, yeah. teachers, you know, we get this like, as a, you have to do this sort of yearly um, update on like safeguarding, which essentially means listen to all these 10 different types of child abuse for like an hour and listen to what they look like and how to spot them and who you report them to and all that yeah. stuff. And it's always so depressing. Wow. And I think for anybody who like works with children, it's always going to be especially like, that's like horrible to oh, know gosh. that kind of thing about you know someone's actual childhood and so that was that was really really difficult for me and obviously because she when she does escape that life she then escapes it essentially into the arms of Tommy Mottola yeah. who was problematic in his own yeah. way that was just so like she has such a long road to like happiness and freedom you if you're so right it really is and like there is like so so she she leaves her her childhood which for me, goes on a little long, <laughs> but I but I would say that um, because I I just I, I do feel like I know you're a Mariah Stan, so I won't be too critical. But I feel like when famous people recount their childhoods, there is a sense where they infuse everything with destiny. Things are creatively yeah. remembered, and some yeah. some things that I listened to, I was just like Mariah, that didn't happen. <laughs> like. people don't talk like that people don't do that like (laughs) yeah I did wonder because obviously she's co-written it with somebody and I did wonder how much of the writing was done by which person I would have loved to have been in the room when those discussions were being had and I don't do you know how ghostwriting works do you know anybody who's done it I know a little about it um so the ghostwriter on this one was a woman called Michaelangela Davis who is a Mm -hmm. writer for Essence magazine I think that's what she's most known for. Um, so it's a very like it's a like very interesting like selection, and I do I think it is just a series of interviews essentially. But I do know that most 
I don't know. It's hard, isn't it? Because it doesn't seem very editorialized at all. It does seem like it's directly mm. from the horse's mouth, as it were. Yeah. And exactly. yeah. So I think mostly it is a series of interviews and then the person looks over the manuscript. But this feels like maybe it was a series of interviews and then it was a Google Doc they both worked on and then it was yeah. got the idea of Mariah Carey <laughs> with Google Docs. Um, <laughs> I love the idea of her just singing into my Google Doc <laughs> dictate. Can you imagine Michaela Angela Davis's like WhatsApp, just all voice notes? It's just like... <laughs> But then your phone would have WhatsApp voice notes on it from Mariah Carey, and you would just never. Yeah, you never. Them. I would play them at Christmas parties. <laughs> I would play them at bars. To the sunhouse. There she is. There's my girl Mariah. Um, <laughs> I'm just gonna play this little voice note that MC left me. MC! Just, just, just a little quick thing. <laughs> um, and so when she she the, the child goes on a little long for me. Um, and then she moves to New York and we get, like, we get those great bits that I always love in any memoir, which is when someone's being poor, but perfect, you know, <laughs> when yes. they're like, they're yes. poor, but they're on their own and they had a dollar a day yeah. and they could either get the good bagels <laughs> from H&H or they could take the subway and it was a choice every day. <laughs> that was wild. And like, while I can definitely believe that any woman in the spotlight, certainly in that time, would not eat very much period mm. I was like are you serious like a bagel a day are you serious a bagel a day and she had to and then she and she also talks about how she spends like hours in the studio like doing like recording and writing work and all this stuff and a how did you get through that without needing to yeah. eat any more than one bagel how is that possible like how, however because she never looks unhealthily thin that I can remember from yeah. like publicity photos Do you know what I mean so you know what I mean so that that's one thing but also like yeah talking about her childhood and how it was remembered kind of imperfectly i was like what i want to know is like how did how on earth did you get from recording like a little jingle as like a teenage side mm-hmm. job to like signing a million dollar contract yes where how does it go from one to the other like yeah she talks about sort of some of the steps in between and how she was always really fascinated with music and she's always really and you know her mum was went to Juilliard which I think is also really so yes yeah, so her mother is an, is a trained opera singer yeah that's which actually makes yeah, a lot of sense. Course, yeah, and and so that she does talk about always having the piano in the house and always singing and stuff. So so it does make sense, and um, that her voice has been this thing that's been cultivated since she was you know very very young, and then and she talks yeah. about as a teenager kind of doing demos for people and singing on people's things, and mm-hmm. she's always mixing with musicians her entire life, yeah. um, which is really in, and like that's uh, a very interesting thing, and maybe you know you'll definitely know more about this as you are a teacher. But um, I've got a friend who's doing this mentorship program at the moment where she's sort of learning how to mentor people. Because I think it's something a lot of authors get asked to do, but nobody knows how to do it. Um, and so the, the, the mentor program, I've said to her, like, the number one thing that holds people back isn't necessarily like money or class or, or this. It's um, not knowing people in those industries. And like, you need to know yeah. someone who's even tangentially intri- like involved in that world. Even if like you want to be a musician and you know somebody who records jingles for an advertising company, you know, it's knowing that yeah. there is an infrastructure, an industry, and that people like you go in and out of it is the most powerful yeah. thing. And, and I think for her, she's always surrounded by working musicians like her entire life. And so it seems very mm-hmm. 
everything's sort of like, yeah, of course, of course I'm going to do this. There's no real jump, you know, and that's so <laughs> wonderful. There's no, there's no moment for Mariah where she's like, and I couldn't believe this man was interested in me. She's like, of course, I'm Mariah Carey. <laughs> I love that. I do love that. And, you know, she does keep, she does say, like, a couple of times how she wants this story to be an inspiration to people, like, young people. And, you know, I want you to always believe in yourself the way I always believed in myself. And she talks several times about how it's just through sheer talent and self-belief. And because she obviously has a lot of self-belief and a huge amount of talent, you can believe that. But it's just this, like, it just seems so wild that she made that journey from this like chaotic really difficult home where there would have been a thousand reasons for her not to succeed in any way to okay I've got a million dollar contract and I'm on I'm on everyone's tv screens and everybody in the world knows who I am and also I'm like 19 years old and I own all my own music that thing there's this brilliant bit where she's like she's signing her first deal and she says like she happened to have seen a Beatles documentary where they referenced that they didn't own their own music because because of licensing issues and she's like oh I'm that's never gonna happen to me I'm gonna own all my own songs and she sort of bargains for that at such a young age it's incredible yes yeah when she wouldn't have had say certainly she wouldn't have had like parents in the room with her who would have been like completely on her side yeah um, you know, protecting her and, 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 you know, safeguarding her in that way. She seems to have had, like, a huge amount of intelligence at a very young age about this industry that a lot of people know nothing yeah, about. Yeah, totally. And I think there's this... That's, I think that brings us back to sort of the overall conception in the public eye and in the culture of who Mariah is. And I think... And something she gets at in her memoir quite a bit is um, because she has this other otherworldly voice that no one had ever really heard before and it's just so notes no one had ever heard before it's like almost people have always treated her almost like a sideshow act rather than an artist like that's interesting i think people treat mariah as if she is a a, a person whose voice happened to her she was given this gift randomly by the gods and she has been using or misusing it ever since there is very little consensus in the culture for her artistry the way she writes the way she produces the choices she makes of who she works with and I think there's a real defensiveness in this novel about that because she talks more than anything else about the produ- about production who she's working with yes. and why she's working with them yeah, you're right. And actually, you're, you're 100% right. She talks a lot about, like, how she really emphasises every time she talks about a song, I wrote this, I co-wrote this. Yeah. I remember the moment when I came up with that melody or that chorus. I spent hours in the studio learning to do this, that and the other. And also when she talks about Aretha Franklin, that was really interesting. Yeah. That she talks about how Aretha, yes, she was this incredible singer. Um, and I'll sidebar, I love how she talks about how, how much respect Aretha had for <laughs> totally. her personally and for nobody else. <laughs> Um, but I love that she also says um, she still doesn't think that Aretha Franklin is fully respected for how brilliant and a musician yes, and arranger yes. she was. And she says that, you know, when a woman is, I think she says especially a young woman, has a, has a fantastic voice, people tend to ignore all other aspects of her ability and her musicianship and her skills. And I think you know, that just really hits yeah. on what you're saying. And I think that's true. Uh, yeah, I think, I think there's always been this sense, particularly since, because... And the the kind of the phases of Mariah are very interesting because when she was first sort of discovered, quote unquote, by Tom, Tommy Mottola, who was her first husband and the head of Sony Records, and and the very controlling mm. husband that we're about to get into, um, she was styled 
kind of almost like a Celine Dion. Like, it was a lot of, like, jumper dresses and her hair was super curly. <laughs> yes. And, like, ballads and just, like, the beautiful girl next door who has this amazing voice kind of thing. And mm. she, she almost yeah. talks as well. as like, um, they wanted to keep my hair sort of, like, curly and voluminous because it made me look a bit yes. Italian rather than mixed race. Yes. Which is, which is something yeah. I'd never even... I, looking at pictures, you're like, oh, I do see that. There is a kind of... um a kind of Marissa Tomei sort of look or something or a Fran Drescher look that you're almost going towards. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And just, you know, long before these public conversations that we're now having about how political hair is, you know, we've got books like Emma De Beery's Don't Touch yeah. My Hair and we've got this whole long conversation that is so important about straightening of hair and um, wearing afros and what um, what is socially acceptable and what is deemed professional. And long before those conversations came out into the open, this um, this incredibly famous woman was having such a massive degree of control imposed yeah. on her hair yeah. before I think most of her fans would have really had the vocabulary to discuss why that's even problematic. Completely, and she doesn't even have the vocabulary in it. There's this really like powerful scene where during her marriage to Tommy, she sort of sneaks out to have dinner with people her own age because she's always hanging around with older people because he's so controlling about who she hangs out with and who she talks to. She goes out for like a dinner and people are talking about like passing and, and all these kinds of things. And she said it was like her brain blew open because she'd never, she'd never had these conversations before. She'd never really known anyone who was mixed race the way that she was. Everyone was just on either side of a color line and she never belonged and it's it's really powerful for somebody like in their like mid twenties to yeah. be able to have these conversations for the first time, you know. It was so wild, just the and she and you're right that so much of her life was around people who I mean as we're going to talk about I guess yeah. now people who were controlled or paid or by Tommy, um, and that in itself was just this really horrible, creepy thing yeah. that you can just imagine being a very like insidious, uh, like part of her life that is a kind of easy to get used to because it's quite it's done in a very um underhanded way but also like incredibly damaging but then you're right when she talks about the liberation that she feels just about being able to talk to like young people yeah. about stuff that she is passionate yeah. about and not have somebody controlling what she's going to say or like answering for her or you know vetting her answers and stuff like that it's just wild and it just I, I honestly really felt at that point that I was like as like rooting yes. for her and, may, and I think that is a really powerful part of the whole diva like franchise isn't it like this idea that this incredibly distant person who has nothing to do with me I find myself cheering yes. for in the past tense you know and like you're like go like, you scrappy little underdog millionaire <laughs> yeah. exactly like exactly like that's what is I think so powerful about this kind of memoir is that it's like you know how it ends so you're, so but true. you're just like desperate for it to end the way that it does. Yeah, yeah. It's so it is so soothing. It is like sort of a, a being a child and being told different versions of Cinderella over and over again, and knowing the answer, but needing the struggle and needing to know that the struggle is fine because she got over it. Um, yeah, exactly. Let, yeah, let's um, let's like park ourselves firmly in Tommy Matola's camp, Oof, which okay. I thought were. In terms of the writing of the book, the most interesting and also the most frust- most frustrating, and then it became quite clear to me that the reasons that were frustrating were for legal reasons. Did that occur to you at all? 
I was wondering throughout the whole thing, actually, what the legality mm. situation was, because, you know, she talks, like you said earlier, she talks about her sister, you know, kind of pimping her mm. out, and she talks about um, her mother in, in lots of ways that are really clearly very unflattering, and the amounts of violence in her home, and then obviously Tommy, this incredibly powerful yeah. man. And I think she mentions at one point, does she, that she's had, that she had, like, not an affair with somebody outside of her yeah. marriage, but, like, there was a guy that she met, and there was a bit of a flirtation and stuff, and I just, the whole time I was just wondering how on earth is she being given like how has her team of lawyers given her clearance to like say all this Mm. like and what legal battles are being fought or will be fought because she's said all sorts of things um and i did notice that the one time that she said something really explicitly like shocking about tommy the 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 incident with a knife Mm -hmm. running down her cheek was an incident for which there were lots yes, of Yes, yes, I was about to say that. The, um, and the Thanksgiving episode, the only time she is ever specific about what he does are when it's in public events where she she knows there are people yeah. who can verify what she's saying and therefore yeah. it isn't liable. And then everything yeah. that, like, in terms of their private life together, her, it's, she's so, it's so, like, expertly done. It's all I feel statements. It's like, I felt, yes. I felt, I felt, I felt, I felt, I felt. Um, because she can't say it and I just th- kept thinking what, how binding that must be because this Tommy Matola is like a man in his 70s now but he's still extremely powerful still extremely rich yeah. like yeah. to have like to even when and you can really tell throughout this writing process that this is something that she's enjoying doing she's enjoying these conversations in Google Docs with Michaela <laughs> and <laughs> and, and um, uh, but and she feels free and she doesn't have these constraints of like a morning talk show to tell her story she has all the paddock she could possibly want to tell the story but she's still <laughs> hemmed in by these Tommy Mottola fences you know like 20 yeah. years on Mother's Day is around the corner find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewellery from Blue Nile from timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Yeah, it's wild. And you're right, she does very, very cleverly do that, the whole um, I felt, I thought um, sort of thing. And you know, there's nothing that there's nothing in that that is unverifiable mm. except for her own sort of personal feelings. Although I did, and I did think one really great sort of um, like point she scored that was by talking about how she just never fancied it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Yes, there's nothing libelous about that, is there? She just, she just yeah. never fancied him. <laughs> I was just like, wow. and there's nothing you can say to that. Like, she just didn't fancy you. She just didn't fancy you. It's, you're so right. That's so something that, like, you can destroy a man with, but he can't, can't see you. Yeah, exactly. He cannot see you. And, she, and, I think, and I think she does sort of reflect on how, um, 
she knows how it might have looked um like externally like this like much younger mm. like um ingenue this um with this much older not necessarily the most conventionally mm. handsome but extremely man. powerful and well connected um, Exactly. And then she talks about how, I think, is it the night before her wedding when her friends try and talk her out of it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was like, they were like, if you want to go, you can just go. You don't have to marry him. And I just thought, that's so sad. Like, you could have left then. And obviously there must have been something making her feel like she had to go through with it. But I was just like, wow. Imagine if she just... But, like, even even the way he comes into her life is, like, she's at some some parties, um, some very glamorous pop star party, and, um, he locks eyes with her and and says, who's your friend to whoever she's with? Like, oh, this is Mariah. She's going to be a huge deal. He takes her demo tape, goes into his car to listen to it there and then, and then by the time he comes back, she's gone, and he has to, like, track her down. So it does feel like almost like a movie kind of thing and it does and like she says at that point she's like even then I knew that Tommy Mottola was the bitter pill I would have to swallow to get through Mm. and it's like it's so calculated it's like well this is what I want and he likes it so yeah and it's so interesting how I think this happens so much with with abuse stories where Mm. the woman or the person who's being abused thinks initially that they're the person in control because they're being love bombed in this way whereby they're getting so much attention they're the object of their person's affections and their adoration and Tommy thinks she's so talented she's the most talented person he's ever met and so she feels like the person who's in in power because she's the person with all the talent but then she doesn't kind of notice all these kind of gold gilded cages that are forming around her as she is this idol to him you know Gosh, yeah, and she does talk, doesn't she, about how intense that whole courtship period was and how... And I think that is the only time in the whole in the whole book that I remember when she does sort of feel... Yes, she obviously, like you say, she's in control in a sense, but she's also... I think that's the only time I remember her saying that she feels, like, overwhelmed or, like, um, diminutive in comparison to somebody so powerful. Mm-hmm. She's like, oh, I didn't know who he was. Like, I just didn't know, like... Um, you know, I didn't, this, there's this like powerful man and he was interested in me and he listened to my demo tape yeah. and oh my goodness. And like, you know, she really um, makes it really clear how she felt like she was um, uh, like this tiny little bird in his hands almost. And he was, and and that's when she, she that, that's the only moment in the whole book that I remember her saying like, I felt small in comparison yeah. to somebody else. Like I felt like, do you know what yes, I mean? Yes, exactly. And, and it goes through, and there's this moment a couple of years after they're married and they have this huge sort of like Princess Diana inspired wedding and that she is very frank about like, yeah, of course it was a publicity stunt. I wanted to be, yeah. How do you think I got to be Mariah Carey? Not, not without <laughs> careful planning, my friends. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so absolutely. Which is another really yeah. interesting element of it that she very like frankly admits the, some of the less flattering, less organic sides of her success. Yeah. Like, she's just like, yes, it is a production. Um, you know, any, you know, if you want, like, for example, when you're doing, like, a TV performance, like, you can't just turn up on stage and sing. You have to have this department. Yeah. You've got to have hair, makeup, cameras, lighting, all of this stuff. And she, and I, and, and that was really interesting. And I, and I think about how that, there's a really interesting dovetail with 
like how she talks about the performance of her wedding and how she talks over and over again about the um the time she spends in the studio and the mechanics of that and how she's kind of used her intelligence mm, for both totally she has got so much intuition about it and obviously this is very much like Mariah Carey is the last person who's gonna say I was wrong or my instincts were off or whatever she's very much like she does to be fair to her now to give her full credit she does give a lot of love and attention and praise to the people who you know have brought her up along the way and the people she surrounds herself with yeah. and stuff yeah. um, but she's always like I knew this was where music was headed <laughs> Yes, <laughs> exactly. She really does, doesn't she? And when she talks about the glitter film, which I actually haven't seen, have you I, seen I actually have seen it. I saw it um, when it came out on VHS. Like I rented it with some friends. I thought it was fun, you know. But then I remember the jokes that happen after glitter much more than I remember glitter itself. That's interesting. And and the thing about so so when the glitter period happens, she has this long marriage to Tommy that she eventually ends. But like it ends by degrees. There is no like. Big, yes. like, you know, my name is Tina Turner. Kind of, kind of, <laughs> there's no moment where she goes to a hotel with no money and tells them she's Tina Turner. It's like this sort of like thing where she, they go to therapy and the therapist slowly lets yes. her know that this isn't normal, darling. This isn't. It's not normal. Th- it's not it's normal. Not normal. <laughs> it's brilliant. If you listen to the audiobook, listeners, treat yourself because the way she does like accents, especially of that therapist, is just golden. Yeah. It's not it's, You're not dealing with the normal person. I was really in that room with her. You're not. <laughs> um, and then so they sort good. of have a trial separation and then it slowly eases into divorce. But once it does, Tommy's sort of revenge on her is is like really potent and really scary. Mm, um, yeah. And so if they, but it's, it's thing is, it's like Tommy's rage doesn't work in a vacuum and the entire industry, whether it knows it or not is, is sort of jumping to his rhythm. Right. And um, so he sort of like suppresses her marketing, suppresses all these things. He, we, we get basically the origins of, I don't know her really. Yes. I love. Yes. Do you want, you, do you want to talk about, Such. I don't know her? Oh, such a juicy story. So um, I, again, this is something that I knew like the bare bones of before I read the book. Like I'd I'd seen this clip on YouTube where Mariah Carey is being interviewed by somebody who asks her what she thinks about several female pop stars in the way that people tend to do, I guess, with female pop stars to try and get them to say something bitchy and blah, blah, blah. And she says, and, you know, they ask her about, I don't know, Beyonce. And she says, oh, she's, yeah, I love her. She's fantastic. Lovely person. And I ask her about some other females pop star. And she says, oh, yeah, I love her as well. And then they say, Jennifer Lopez. And she says, I don't know her. And she just gives this really lovely, like, mm, sorry, sorry. Never heard of it. That hasn't popped up on my radar. Um, and then, of course, it turns out from the memoir that this is because, and I knew something to do with Tommy Mottola was in there, but it turns out from the memoir that this is because Mariah Carey, as part of the Glitter soundtrack, um, had written this song called Loverboy, which was, I think, the lead song on the album or something like that. And she wanted to use a sample from um, a song by the Yellow Magic Orchestra who um, called Firecracker. And then apparently Tommy or Tommy's cronies got heard of this and convinced another artist, Jennifer Lopez, to use the same sample. So the thing about the I don't know her thing was that 
if you think about it, it's the classiest response Mariah Carey could have possibly had because while she admits that, like, yeah, this is probably just a woman who I don't know who was caught up in the same industry that I was, and crucially, I don't know her. But, like, but, you know, so I can't say what her motivations were, but ultimately, whether or not she was a victim of the same system that I was a victim of, I don't have to like her. She was still complicit in this. So... Fuck you. Completely. Yeah, completely. That, that's a totally legitimate response. Like, I would have, if I had been in her shoes, I would have, well, I would have named her, for one thing. I would have been like, it was her. Her name is Jennifer Lopez. She lives at 23 East 22nd Street in New York City. And she screwed me up. Like, I would have been much less charitable. Um, but yeah, so you're right. I think it was really, it just felt me really like, like, polished and, like, classy. And, like, I'm not going to descend into, like, anything like you know what I mean I'm not going to descend into anything petty but this happened it was a professional situation in which she should have done something different and it messed with me and I don't like it but I yeah. won like but I won <laughs> I won <laughs> like, um, and, it's, and the thing about Mariah that she's and you can see this all over YouTube there are so many like shade edits of Mariah yeah. Carey um, being a little bit bitchy because with Mariah she always has this level of like plausible deniability with all of her cattiness <laughs> where she's always like she has this very sort of unbothered very smooth almost like somebody who's on antibiotics or something <laughs> like very placid like yeah mm-hmm, I don't yeah. know you know it's very that and she'll be like that about anyone she has a problem with she'll be like well hmm you know <laughs> exactly she just I think she's just perfected this level of like almost acting as though she lives in a completely different world to the rest of you hoes like I don't have to care about anything I'm here on Christmas Island counting my money (laughs) and I'm occasionally going to drop some shade and if you know what I'm talking about then that's fine but if you don't then and I think that's why she's such like Mariah was so made for the gays. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because she just she yeah. just gives you enough little <laughs> tidbits. She's like she like just throws a bone. She's like here, make a meme out of this. <laughs> she knows, yes, exactly. Like she gets the she gets social media maybe before, more than any other certainly any other pop star of her generation. She just gets yeah. it, yeah, and she fits so well into it. Um, yeah, you're right. There's like uh, so one of the side effects of my read of my listening to this book has been like uh, like fueling my obsession with Mariah Carey on social media. So like if you go into my Instagram like explore tab, everything on there is like a Mariah Carey shade meme or a Mariah Carey performance from the '90s or some thing where she or like some Mariah Carey thing from her like stories where she talks to the camera and then instead of ending the video, walks out of shot. That's a very Mariah Carey. She won't just be like goodbye. She'll walk out of the shop. Okay, bye. Somebody strained, somebody like strung all these clips together. Just clips of Mariah Carey like waving goodbye to the camera and then walking out of shot. And then the camera's turning <laughs> off. There's like 10 of them in a row. It's brilliant. I love oh, it. Oh, I love it. Oh, I love it. I it's love so, it. I think it's, I think so. The What happens after Glitter, I think, goes a lot into the creation of that Mariah Carey personality that we know and love today. This kind of unbothered, slightly distant, sort of like, oh, there's a camera, okay, kind of yeah. thing. Um, like, and I think it's what what fuels people who don't like Mariah, their frustration with her, because there they feel... There are people feel, who don't like Mariah. Oh, there are people. You should, yeah. Who are people, these people? What are their names? People, 
safe. Where do they live? Um, I do think people have a problem with Mariah. Um, I think because because she is so it's any fucking woman who's aware of her own talent. Yeah. And aware of how much money she makes people, aware yeah. of what she does for the infrastructure of the industry that she's in. Yeah. Um, and they and they hate that she doesn't try to Jennifer Lawrence or Taylor Swift it at all. That she's just like, mm, yeah, yeah. yeah. Here, here on Christmas Island, counting my money. <laughs> um, but when, after, so after Glitter, after this like thing blows up in her face. And what I really appreciate about her saying about Glitter as well, and what I feel like when when Glitter became a punchline, what nobody wanted to appreciate was that Glitter was an entirely self-aware project. It was a pop star movie, like like Crossroads or like Burlesque or any other yeah. kind of yes. movie like that. La Bamba. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, this, there's, this is a genre of film. The Beatles yeah. did it like of like, Movies for young people who want to see their idol in a film and have fun and it's glittery and, you know, full of colour and life. Exactly. That is Jennifer Lopez's entire film catalogue. Yeah. Yeah. And every now and then she does something like enough and we're all very proud of her. But, but, you know. I don't hate it. I don't hate it. I like it. Um, And, but then people do this thing where because Mariah has this sort of like, fine glaze over yeah. her and she doesn't let people in they assume that Mariah isn't self-aware and that Mariah yeah. takes herself extremely seriously and that Mariah yeah. thinks this is like an Oscar winning performance in an Oscar winning movie yeah. and they think by reviewing it as if she were meaning to do that and they're, and yeah. being mean about it is the way to like approach this art and it's just so unfair yeah I, th- I agree with that and I think that I mean you see that happen from time to time with like any any work of art that like tries like humor or like fun i think it's always very easy to kind of like take it down and be like yes well you might think this is brilliant but actually if we hold it to this standard like i've seen takedowns of beyonce in a similar way like i've seen like people talk about oh well she's not exactly mozart is she and it's like well a she's better than Mozart and be <laughs> she's and be like not everything has to be held to there's 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 so many different ways in which something can be good and entertaining yeah. and fantastic and fun like it doesn't have to be and you're right like because she has that kind of like because she doesn't do any of the tricks that we are used to seeing that mm. are like that Lady Gaga for example will do to be like hi guys I'm self-aware do you know the, the kind of the, yeah. the little like yeah. just to let you know wink wink like this is tongue in cheek like I'm not doing this as like I'm not taking this too seriously um, and I like that she doesn't do that I like that she just does this kind of like balls to the wall this is what I want to do it's yeah. fun if you don't like it you don't like it I like that she doesn't like um, cater to this demand that everybody in that everybody, especially women who are like having fun in their careers, will like sh- promise everybody and reassure us that she's self-aware. Like, why should she have to do that? I, I really think it's the most debilitating thing that women that people do to to women artists, and I'm sure they do it to all kind of artists, but maybe I just notice it more with women, where they they think that like oh her this kind of silliness or this sort of tongue-in-cheekness or whatever she's doing that's not what it is and they take it extremely literally and as her being a fool or something and i think that's um epitomized really well with the trl story yes 
Do you want to go into the TLO, uh, TRL story? So I'm still not entirely clear on what happened, and I did, I did, I did read or listen to this bit, but it was so it was like so she was promoting glitter. She was, mm-hmm. and it was like a publicity stunt. Is that correct? Like, yes. she, it was planned. It was scheduled. It was choreographed. It was not simply, oh, I turned up on TRL doing this, that, the other. But she, she, she basically like staged like, um, I guess, a takeover of TRL or like a like a walk in where she was like taking off like one top to reveal another top. Is that correct? <laughs> like, yes. it was like taking off clothes to reveal more clothes. Like it wasn't yeah. stripping. And it was like, but like the host didn't play along. And um, what's the host? Was it? Carson Daly. Carson Daly. Yeah. Yeah. Who was like, um, who acted as though she was like having some weird mental episode. It, it, it's so weird. Did you watch it on YouTube? No, I didn't. I need to watch it actually. It, it's an odd it is it is odd and like she she does preface it in the book by saying look Tommy's people were like you know completely you know tying my hands behind my back when it came to marketing of everything and I felt like nobody was doing anything because everybody was so afraid of Tommy and going against him so I felt like I had to take marketing into my own hands so I arranged to go on TRL because the summer movie I was going to bring an ice cream truck and hand them out in TRL like a very a very like normal like publicity thing to do if it's like oh look who's here it's Mariah she's got ice cream see her movie <laughs> and and like it wasn't it was quite last minute not very planned but it was planned and then when she she comes on this glitter t-shirt and then underneath it there's a Supergirl shirt and the entire time she's talking about this she's like I was so exhausted mm. or oh, I was trying to do everything I could to make this this like movie work or whatever and then the like everyone like Carson Daly just keeps going why are you here what's got it's so unprofessional the unprofessionalism is too much and it's just like him being like acting like she's it's a thing where people treat treating a woman like she's mental and then she yeah. seems even more mental yeah um it's just so long and then it, it, it begins this sort of like glitter-infused, like, post-Tommy tailspin, where her grasp on her mental health becomes Mm. so tenuous. And what's fascinating about this is, like, and it's, I think, obviously, Mariah Carey is not a story for everyone to relate to, but I think what is relatable about it is I think what happens with a lot of abuse narratives and a lot of addiction narratives, and maybe that's why those two things come together so frequently, is that... When you only have one thing in your life to worry about, you kind of are almost protected by that infrastructure. So, like, nobody expects anything from, say, somebody who's a heroin addict because, like, oh, don't rely on that person. You know what I mean? That's kind of mm. a... That all, it's all they care about. That's their entire world. Similarly, when somebody's in an emotionally or and mentally abusive marriage and that person takes care of their entire life, yes. even though it's incredibly negative, that's still an infrastructure that they're used to living in. And yeah. when that infrastructure goes away and is replaced by all these people around her who are half scared of her ex-husband, half trying to make a buck off of her, yeah. and she has no idea who to trust. Her family are fucking for the birds. <laughs> and like she, oh, oh, the only people she really trusts are her fellow artists, who they themselves are working with her and they themselves have their own interests and stuff, even though yeah. she respects them. Yeah. And it's, you could, and like, there's these harrowing couple of chapters where it's yeah. like, she just wants to have a few days off oh, so she can God. have a sleep. Yeah. And they keep calling her house. Like her staff won't listen to her. They keep putting the calls through. Being like, Mariah, where are you? Where's Mariah? Where's Mariah? A lot, of, a lot of money depending on you, Mariah. And she's kind of like, 
I've made you countless millions. I just yeah. need a break. Like, why aren't? Why is no one lobbying for my time off? Yeah. She checks herself into a hotel. They find her there. Her brother shows up, and because she's just so happy to see a familiar face, she just sort of kind of falls into his arms. He then takes her back to her parents' house, her mum's house, which she built. Yeah. Her mum starts having a go at her. At this point, she's uh, she's breaking down, and it's, this is like actually the most like frightening part of the book. What I found anyway, mm. where. She's so she's having a fight with her mother and she keeps imitating her mother's voice. Yeah. And there's this thing her mother used to always say whenever they accuse Mariah would accuse her of like bad behavior, being like, I I did the best that I could. I did the best and she just starts saying, I did the best that I could. I did the best yeah. that over and over again until her mom calls the police. Which was And just... then she's committed, yeah. I mean, you're right, it was so harrowing. And I think it was so harrowing because she really, na- she really, you can tell, A, her memory of that night is obviously very clear because it's mm. just, so, despite, yes, her being committed afterwards and having been subjected to God knows what after that and during that experience of being committed, this has been so deeply embedded in her memory that she know- that she remembers that, which is, which is actually unusual for, um, in my experience, for like big fights. When you have mm. like big fights, especially with family members, it's like, you often don't remember a lot of what you said. <laughs> like you just remember that yes. feeling of being so angry and sad and or whatever it might be. So for her to, be, so for her to, so for me, one of the things that made that so like um, moving was the fact that she remembered so much of it in so much yeah. detail. I thought that is that was clearly a really harrowing experience for you. If you can talk about that years later, like blow for blow. It's so interesting, isn't it? And it's like, there was a lot of talk in the last few years about the sort of I Believe Women campaign, kind of. Mm. I mean, I don't know if it's tactless to call it a campaign, but you know what I'm talking about, of like... Yeah. Um, taking women's sort of assault stories more seriously. Yeah. And there was a lot of, like, looking at stories and stuff. And, like, that thing of, like, when people can recall extremely specific and virtually unimportant details... Yeah. ...in a really visceral... Like, there's a whole bit where she's sort of, like, there's no clean crockery in the house, so she's, like, washing a bowl so she can (sighs) eat. My God. It's just... It's so... And there's kind of that thing of, like, obviously I have no way of telling that this is all true... But yeah. the feeling of truth that just radiates off of this is so real, you know? Yeah, exactly. And just the the kind of the, the randomness of some of the details, you're right, like the fact that she was doing the dishes when she was so exhausted. Like, did she say she hadn't slept for like a few days by this point? Yeah, five days. She had more than two hours together. That's just ridiculous. And then yeah. she talks, and like, yeah, you're right, when she's sort of repeating what she says to her mother, like, oh, I did the best I could. I, like that kind of like the descent of that argument into just like mimicry and mocking it just yes it's petty and blah 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 but also that is very very human once somebody's been put through that yeah. amount of stuff i think was just it and she and she very clearly outlines how there was nobody to look out for her in this situation and that the people who should have been looking out for her were either having a go at her or trying to take advantage of her or both. I think that's a point when she talks about her brother wanting to organise a hit on somebody. Yes. Isn't it? Yeah. Which is like, what part of your brain thought that this is what I need right now? Like, yeah. <laughs> I need Oh my sleep. God, yes. Like, what? Like, I can't remember now who he was 
some some person who he's afraid knows too much about the family and the sister's prostitution and his violent past some person who he thinks might threaten to tell the press and ruin Mariah's career Uh, he's like oh I have a way I think I I, I can get him to shut up but give me five grand first and she's just like what oh you feel so awful for her yeah just so awful like imagine being in a situation where a calling your own parents or your own family was a bad decision when you're stressed and b when you're so tired that you make that bad decision because you can't see straight yeah i found that really difficult that bit so and this thing as well of like and the sort of book ending that i mentioned at the beginning of the podcast um about her mother her mother and her mother's comfort with the police and how when mm. her mother who who is white um fe- like feels uncomfortable or threatened her first instinct will be to call the police and she has no consensus over how that means different things for her children than it does yeah. for her yeah it's Ooh. it's it really is so dark and it's like it's amazing how and it, it, and it, it, Mariah like to be fair to her does this inc- and or and Mika- Michaela Davis who wrote it with her this is incredible I think the mother is fleshed out in this incredibly complex way yeah. where she does talk about like wow she estranged herself from her entire racist family in order to be with this man and then she's like putting her children in the way of racist harm so yeah. blithely you know. Yeah. That was really, I thought that was a really impressive thing to be able to present that portrait of somebody who's obviously done a lot of harm to her at a very young mm-hmm. and vulnerable age and then continuously through her life um, and, she, and who she now refers to as her ex-mother, actually. Yeah, to she was a pat. Right? She, and, you know, exactly, and, and there's this bit towards the end of the, of the book where she talks about how she's had to kind of divorce herself from certain family members. Um to be able to give um, a complex and nuanced portrait of somebody like that who's had that terrible influence on you, I thought that was, you know, props to her because that, is a, that must have been very, very difficult to do. Yeah. God, love her, Mariah. She's good. <laughs> what can't she do? What can't she do? Um, I hope she listens to this. I feel like she does. <laughs> I feel like it's not unlikely. I think she likes being understood by people who are clever yeah. like us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's this one bit that really made me laugh where she um, she's talking about the sort of industry that's sort of swallowed her and like how and how you do and that's what I was kind of saying a minute ago where it was like she's been so chewed up and spat out by Mm. the industry and by people around her that of course she has this kind of glaze whenever we see her on like a talk show this sort of detached thing where she's like I'm not giving you cunts anything (laughs) (laughs) and I don't have to because I'm a liar (laughs) Um, and um, and she talks about meeting Princess Diana and very very briefly at like some party and seeing I actually wrote it down because I thought it was so good um, she said Diana, Princess Diana and her eyes that were lit with the dull terror of never being left alone Oof. and how they shared the feeling of always being surrounded by people not all of whom want to hurt you but all of whom want something yes I was like, oh God, that's depressing. That is depressing. <laughs> yeah, and it was a very interesting sort of, again, another sort of interesting sort of dovetail moment, wasn't it? Of like these two incredibly famous um, 
in their in their own different ways brutalized women from that period and i just thought and then she said i think was it was it with was it with princess diana where she talks about imagine if things had been different like imagine if um she, imagine she, if princess diana would have had twitter wouldn't have life been it. better i was like mm. really <laughs> okay not sure who signed off on that little phrase but yeah it, it was so it, that her, like mariah's whole view on social media is very interesting yes because Which I, yeah <laughs> you, no no you go <laughs> yes. well i mean i guess first of all the fact that she ascribed social media that power to princess diana's life perhaps retrospectively is interesting because obviously with prince harry and Meghan, what has allowed them that kind of freedom if you like from the sort of royal family franchise has not been social media but simply okay. Their very direct, I am not taking this bullshit anymore kind of uh, response. But um, she does this whole social media thing. I don't know. Like for me, what's interesting is that she kind of she kind of gives herself a credit, which is maybe not unfair actually, for have kind of having done social media before social media came along. Like mm-hmm. where she's trying, she talks about that time when she was having that breakdown, when um, she was calling her fans directly and. You know, she was sort of trying to talk to them directly. And then she says, well, people thought I was crazy. People thought I was this, that, and the other. But actually, I had been doing this on my website for a long time. I'd been posting messages and they would respond. And I just think... But that's not the same. And, and it doesn't have to be the same. That's not the same. That's not the same. And it doesn't have to be the same. Like I, And I don't want to... This is going to sound really critical now, and I don't mean to, because actually underst- I, I feel like it's perfectly legitimate and fair and valid for her to just be having for her to be doing all kinds of stuff which would under normal circumstances be considered irrational and and weird because she was going through some horrible stuff at the time but what is interesting is that she kind of seems to sort of backdate her ability on social media to like the 1990s in that weird way Mm. which she just doesn't need to um but then that is part of the whole project of this book isn't it is where she feels like this is her chance to especially with that horrible episode in her life where she was having that breakdown, this is her chance to sort of have that um, response and tell her side of the story in, in like, a coherent, balanced way. So, yeah, I guess it was a little bit over the top, but I kind of don't... I'm yeah. not mad at it. Like, I know, I really enjoyed it. And, like, I, I do understand where she's coming from because I think, you know, she's so used to having sort of tabloids recontextualize her activity when now she can just like go on tiktok and be like here i am yeah. being normal in my fun home with my nice kids yeah and, and she and, and she's able to give a rounded portrait of who she is and that must be feel very liberating and it's just quite rare to have any celebrity be like i love twitter yes <laughs> As, and, and because actually twitter is not like uh, I'm not. I'm on and off Twitter, especially off Twitter right now, as the US election mm-hmm. results are coming in. But I think that it is a skill. Hey, maybe we'll get off this call and there'll be a new president. Actually, oh, I hope there's. A, well, that's, I hope there's a new president and not the old one. And that's just <laughs> that. um, but yeah, I think it is a skill. Like some some people are better better at it than others. Me, you know, and some people can use it and be really funny and brilliant. And obviously, they have like helpers who like who like um, share stuff and tweet for them and so on and so forth but like some people are really good at it and some people are less good at it and I think she's one of the better ones I think that's a real skill yeah. like it's it's not just it's not it's not easy to do I think as well I, th- I think what's on Mariah's side is that she has a very cal- she's a very like 
strong sense of the absurd. Yeah. And I think that always goes down well on social media, regardless of who you are. (laughs) Whether you're Drill or Mariah Carey. Yes. (laughs) And she's very good at, she is very good at laughing at herself. Like, she doesn't do that whole self-referent thing, um, or sort of, um, she doesn't, like, go over the top in the way that say Lady Gaga for example like I've said will do to be like to be like ironic to show people mm-hmm. that she has a sense of humour but she is also very good at laughing at herself like the reference to Jennifer Lopez in this book this you <laughs> yeah. know this, this woman who I don't know and she just doesn't even have to hammer it because she knows that every single person listening yeah. to that book knows who that is and she does the same thing on, on um, Twitter as well and on, on social media she's just very good at kind of hyping herself up in that really clever way by referring to something that is just part of the culture that she's contributed because everybody knows who she is. Yeah, no, you're, you're totally right. It, it, it does feel it does feel subtle. It's like she's the real, she's the cutter's choice of, <laughs> of divas. Like, hmm, subtle undertones here. <laughs> yes. She's very interesting, isn't she? Like, if you compare yeah. her to somebody like Beyonce, who in, a, in many ways is the diva of my life forever. I can't mm-hmm. choose. Um, like, Beyonce obviously keeps a lot of her stuff from view and she doesn't let a lot of people behind that curtain whereas Mariah Carey uh, she yeah. she in a very different way kind of has given us this massive portrait of her life which I can't imagine Beyonce ever really doing and both choices are valid but yeah it's just a very yeah. interesting way of managing yourself you, you really can't imagine Beyonce phoning a fan can you <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't have to if she does I really hope it's me yeah. <laughs> all right we've been talking for a long time about mariah carey it's time to talk about you okay (laughs) this is my favorite part so your book the private joys of nina maloney uh has just come out in paperback such an exciting time for any author i'm cheap now i was (laughs) (laughs) oh she's cheap um i definitely felt when my paperback came out that it felt like finally legitimate that is like oh they're really letting me do it <laughs> yeah I know what you, you mean you know do you like feel like similarly excited yeah it is really exciting because well I mean it's the reason we met essentially the the launch mm. of my paperback was why was like the occasion that meant that I was invited to the Cheltenham Literature Festival which is when we had that fantastic event together which was so much fun um and it's kind of gives this book its whole second life like I feel like most of the reviews like it's been through the whole reviews and prizes kind of cycle now it's been a Mm -hmm. year since it came out in hardback so all that stuff is kind of over and now I can just enjoy like doing lovely stuff like this and uh, going to events and talking to people about it and it's I don't have to it's like the whole like first publicity engine of it mm. is like done and it's this lovely second life of it which is just great and leading to lots of fun things it's really great yeah and, and you feel a bit more seasoned as well and you feel like you know the things to talk about and you're not going to just be like <laughs> well, I don't know read it I guess <laughs> literally yeah the first couple of interviews I think I gave were like <laughs> just <laughs> and you just kind of work your way into being able to to yeah. talk about it fluently um but, can, yeah, you give, can you give us a little plot summary? 
Yeah, so it is uh, about a teenage girl called Nena who is living in Manchester with her single mum, Joni. And Nena is half Nigerian, but her mother, Joni, is white. And Nena's never met her father, Morris, who is Nigerian. And there's a whole backstory behind that that Nena tries to get up with her mother, but her mother really does not want to talk about it at all, which makes things very difficult for Nena and very uncomfortable. So the novel is really about the two of them learning about each other. It's about Nena's journey towards learning about her heritage and about her mother and what on earth happened between her parents in order to make things the way they are between them um and it's about their lives and their friends and lovers and it's um about all sorts of redemptions and journeys really that sounds so great and you know who would love that book mariah (laughs) i'm not gonna lie the thought occurred to me as i was listening to the audiobook i was like you know what i should have a little brown sand mariah carey little gift package yeah I think um, she'd like it. <laughs> Can you imagine? Can you imagine? I just, yeah. Oh, I can't. Well, I hope I hope she finds it, reads it, and endorses it, and then brings oh. you on the next tour to do some just spoken word Shut while she sings. Up. <laughs> Shut your imagine, mouth. Imagine! I want that for you! This has been Sentimental Garbage, and I've been Karen O'Donoghue. You can follow me on Twitter at Zaraline, that's C-Z-A-R-O-L-I-N-E, or email me by the podcast at ZaralineO'Donoghue at gmail.com. This has been a Justice for Dumb Women podcast. Thanks to Harry Harris for the jingle, Gavin Dave for the logo, and Acast for the recording space. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com